Take your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This passage is known as the Shema. It's based on the, the first word of the verse. In verse 4, listen. Uh, a lot of directions we can go with this. This uh, passage was quoted by Jesus. It's quoted in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, you read it, it's pretty clear. He uh, quoted it at least twice in two different situations. But very likely he quoted it many, many more times than that. That's how important this passage was um, to Israel. But we are looking at a particular aspect of it this morning. Teach your children well. Now, some of you of a certain age might recognize that as the title of a song. Do we have anybody of a certain age who recognizes that? I see some hands out there. Yeah, you'd be of the boomer generation. Yep. Uh, and now, some of the younger ones, because we listen to the oldie station. <clears throat> uh, and I have to laugh, because now when you listen to the oldie station, what's on there? 80s and early 90s music, yeah, yeah, so it's not funny anymore. That joke is now old and dead. Um, but Crosby, Stills, and Nash sang this song, Teach Your Children Well. I won't sing the next line, because um, something rhymes with well, and they don't use it in biblical terms. Um, it, their theology, if, if they even had one, is, is not what the direction we would go. Uh, their perspective wasn't the same as us, but this line is a good reminder of what this verse, this passage, teaches us as parents, and not just as parents. Some of you may not have children in the home at all anymore. You're, you may not have had children at all. Uh, your, your children are much older, but we as a church have a responsibility as well to teach our children well, and we'll see that as we move through this passage. Teach your children well. Now, it's not guaranteed that uh, the outcome is going to be what we wanted. Uh, the, the passage in Proverbs that we quote so often, raise up your child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it, that's a proverb. It's a principle. It's not a promise. Uh, we all know children who were raised in the way they should go, and they did depart from it when they got older, when they had the opportunity. And, and it may not be uh, the end for them. It, they may not have had their last opportunity to return. Uh, the prodigals often come home. But just because it might not work does not mean that we don't have a responsibility to teach them well anyway. I, we can look at Israel, we can begin with this passage and then look at how often and how quickly even Israel turned from God. They, they knew the command, they, some of them even, most of them even fulfilled the command and yet Israel still turned away. So it's not a guaranteed outcome, but it is still our responsibility and it is the result of a practiced lifestyle at home and in the church. It's one of the reasons why, as the, the uh, staff shares their ministry goals, their visions for the ministry, discipleship is going to come up so often, because that's all this is, is discipleship, sharing, growing our, our children, beginning as soon as we can, beginning in the nursery, 
bed, crib babies. I mean, Scripture, Bible songs. And as soon as they start talking, we're teaching them Scripture. We're singing Bible songs over them and worship songs over them. It's a practiced lifestyle both at home and in the church. So let's, let's get our passage turned to, if you haven't already, Deuteronomy 6. We're going to read verses 4 through 9. Moses writes, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. The picture up there is of a mezuzah, and it's, I've seen it not just on Jewish homes, but I've seen it on Christian, Christian homes as well. Uh, and it is binding the uh, uh, writing this Shema on your doorpost, and that's a lot of people will do that. That gives you a, an image as we move through this uh, for what we are to be doing, but let's not get bogged down in, in, in the doing. We're going to talk about that. It is more about the being than the doing. Well, let's, let's look at our, our passage here. Moses begins, God begins through Moses. Listen, Israel. Now, as I said, the first word is Shema, and that's what we know this as, the Shema, the, the listen uh, of, of the passage. This if, if, if we took the whole new, uh, rather Old Testament law and we condensed it, we would get the Ten Commandments. Decalogue, if you want your uh, big word for the day. Decalogue. We, if, if we condensed all the law, we'd get the Ten Commandments. But if we condensed the Ten Commandments, we would get the Shema. If you, if you want to know how to live out the Ten Commandments, if you want to know how to live a holy, godly life, listen. Listen, Israel. Listen in the Old Testament is the same as obey. If you hear it, you do it. We had the same kind of idea with our children, if, if you've raised any. Are you listening to me? Yeah, I'm listening. No, you weren't. You heard me, but you didn't listen. You know, right? We know the difference. I heard you say something. I, I heard Mrs. Othmar, uh, Charlie Brown's teacher, womp, 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 but I wasn't listening. I have no clue what was said the, the eight times I was told to do something. Uh, not in my family, but maybe in yours. Right, boys? Yeah. Uh, but listen. Do, do more than just hear it. Obey is what he is getting at here. This is what the word means. Obey Israel. Obey church. Because Israel then is the church now. Now, that there are different categories of, of what people think the promises to Israel or whether they think they're going to be fulfilled literally someday to Israel or if they are fulfilled to the church now. Or, and and you, can, you can read all up on that if you want to. I'm not going to talk about all the different versions and views. Uh, I think I'm kind of a muddled blend of all of them. But what I do believe and what I do know is that 
Israel as a God-following, theocratic uh, uh, entity, as it existed in the Old Testament, no longer exists. There was a new inauguration, a new revelation, a new testament, a new witness that said the church now is receiving the promises, or, or, or rather the world, the Gentiles, and we're going to call them the church when they come to Christ, is receiving these promises. God's focus now is not just on a small group of people, but the world, and that is done through Jesus Christ. So we can sit here, church, and we can read this passage, and we can very easily, and I believe very accurately, substitute church in to that word Israel. And it say to us, listen, church, obey, church. Now, not obey America. America is not in the Bible. Unless it's one of, uh, depending on how literally you take Revelation, and it's one of the ten kingdoms that will eventually turn against, uh, join with the Antichrist and turn against the, uh, the two missionaries. That's a very real possibility. But otherwise, God ain't promising nothing to America. He is promising to his church and asking the church to obey. If we want to make America great again, the church has to obey God. Well, it was pretty good. But that's how we improve our nation. So Israel, church, listen, obey. Listen to this next passage, he's saying. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. What does that mean for us? Well, the same thing it means for them. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is unique. There is no God like him. There is no uh, 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 ruler, there is no king, there is no position of power, There's, there is nothing on earth or in heaven or in the universe like our God. He is absolutely, 100%, totally unique. There is no thing or person like him anywhere. That's clearly one of the things that this means. But also what he's getting at here is he's telling us that not only is he one, he's the only one, but he is one. He is unified. And we're not talking about some, necessarily, some Trinitarian idea of uh, a unity among the Trinity, though I believe that will be the, the greater expression, the greater understanding later on, so that we can come back to this passage and say, Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Trinity, that's three, not two, Michael, three, Trinity in one. He is unified. He is one. But this unity is about his self-existence, his self-competence, his, his lack of need for anything or anybody else other than himself. He self-exists. If we go back to the name he gave to Moses at the burning bush, who will I say? If I go to my, the people and say, uh, the, Lord, uh, the, 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 the Lord's called you out, who will I say sent me? And he said, tell them Yahweh sent you. I am that I am, or I will be what I will be, or I am what I will be, or I, I am everything that I am. I'm all I need to be, and I'm all that you need right here. I am unified. I am one complete God. And you don't need anything else. Hear, O church, the Lord your God, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then we get the command. Okay, now we know who he is. 
We have the introduction. What are we worshiping? What are we talking about? Or who are we talking about? Then what's the command that goes with that? Obey. You're telling me to obey. Listen. Obey. The Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. That's not a command. Oh, but verse 5 is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Today is a day of song illustrations. Because in the 1950s, there was a group called the Teddy Bears. And there was a fellow by the name of Phil Spector. Some of y'all may recognize him from recent news. Well, last two or three years. Uh, but he wrote a song called, I believe the name of it was To Know, Know, Know Him. Now I've gone back. I think I just passed the boomers. And I think I just went to the next generation. To, the next generation. Does anybody know that song? To know, know, know him to love. Yep, yep. Very good. Well, we're going to change that song today uh, just a little bit for our purposes because to know God is not to love him necessarily. There are people that know, plenty of people that know God but don't love him. But to love, love, love him is to obey, obey, obey him. If you claim to love God, if you hear, O oh church, if you hear Israel, if you're listening and you know the Lord your God and you know the Lord is one, then you are to love him. And if you claim you love him, if you say you love him, then we go back to the listen, to the hear. We must obey him. I love you. I'm just not going to do what you say. Well, that doesn't work in any relationship, but certainly not in our relationship with the Lord. So he tells us, this is who, you, who you've got. This is the God you need to worship, you need to serve. Love him, obey him. But in what way should we do it? How, what would that look like? I, I, I might can tell somebody to, to, to love God, but, but what does that look like for me to love him? Well, you would love him with your, all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now that's with everything you have. The heart for the Old Testament people, that was the source of the intellect. They didn't, they didn't think of the brain as where you thought. They thought of the heart as where you thought. Uh, you know, if you, if you got emotional, you got heart palpitations. And, and you know, you, you think, they assumed that that's where you thought. That was the seat of the intellect. So if you're loving him with all your heart, you're loving him with everything you think. You're loving him with every uh, 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 thought that comes through your mind, every plan, every, uh, every word. That's what you love him with. With your soul, this would be your being. This would be those invisible parts apart from the mind. So this would be the emotions. Uh, this would be the, uh, what they knew existed inside because the body uh, dies, but what, what was animating the body? Well, the soul, those part, that part of you that is you that we can't see from the outside only God can see. But that part of you is also to be uh, devoted in love to the Lord. And then with your strength. Now he has covered our physicality, our might, our actions, our doing. All parts of us with what you think, with what you feel, and with what you do. You love God with your essence, every, that, what you are, and your expression. Moses doesn't leave any blanks here. Doesn't leave us any opportunity to say, well, I love God with this, but I don't have to love him with that. 
I love him with my heart, my, my mind, but I don't have to love him with my body. No, it is all connected, and it is all part of our devotion, all part of our expression to the Lord in love. Love the Lord with your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Verse 6, these words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Now we're getting to the real nitty-gritty. Another band, if, but it has no bearing on the message this morning. Um, the real nitty-gritty here. This must be internalized before it's taught. I was a science teacher for uh, three years. Yeah, three years. Middle school, eighth grade science teacher. Um, when a school district is desperate for teachers, they'll hire anybody. I'm proof. Now, I was a certified teacher. I got my certification as a teacher. But when you are uh, certified for middle school, you can be certified, at least in Texas. I don't know how it is in Louisiana. Uh, for all subjects in middle school. They assume if you've graduated from college, you should be able to teach all middle school subjects. Well, they never checked my math, uh, and they never asked me to teach math either, so that was, we were good there. I could not teach math if my life depended on it. Science I could teach, but there was a difference between me, a guy who had almost a speech communication degree from LSU, uh, a few hours from a school in Texas to get my bachelor's degree in general studies so I could go on to seminary and get my master's in divinity. I'm struggling to find the science in there other than a few subjects, a couple of subjects I took in college, uh, yet I was the science teacher. My point is, I had not internalized the science curriculum. Oh, I could read the book, and I, I had a general knowledge of science. I knew the stuff I was teaching. But as far as the other science teachers in the department who had all gone to, some of them had gotten a biology degree or some other sort of degree, to science degree to be able to teach it, I had not internalized it. So what that meant was before every class, even not so much my third year, but certainly my first year, I'm studying just as much as the kids Okay, I gotta I gotta learn this before I can teach it, uh, and and I'm looking and reading, and uh, I will say our test scores went up some with me as the teacher. It's it's not a total loss. Don't everybody sit there? Oh my gosh, what are they teaching our children? It wasn't that bad, but I had not internalized it, folks. If we try to train our children, whether it's at home or in the church, and we have not internalized the message here, we will not succeed. We will fail at it because we're not teaching them something we do. We're trying to pass on knowledge that has not obviously affected our lives in a positive manner. And that is a tragedy. This is the, 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 the phrase here means committed to memory. So it sounds like knowledge, but it's, it's not. It's deeper than just memorization. It is something that takes hold of you and is a part of everything you do. It is our responsibility as parents, it is our responsibility as the church, listen church, to do it before we teach it or expect it. And, you know, do as I say, not as I do, has never worked. It has certainly not worked in the faith. It, it never works out, the do as I say, 
not as I do. Um, the Babylon, uh, Babylon Bee is a satire site that uh, skewers a lot of people in the church. They, they, they hit way too many sore thumbs uh, in the church, but they are absolutely right. One of the headlines uh, I saw recently was, after 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents shocked by daughter's lack of faith. Read that again. After 12 years of quarterly church attendance, once every three months, parents shocked by daughter's lack of faith. We're amazed when people, when, when children, when youth fall away from the church after parents for six years have dropped them off and gone home and then they get old enough to make the decision on their own and they don't want to come back. I took them to church every Sunday or every Wednesday or every other or whatever. Why did they leave? Because you never went. Because you did not present it as a priority. You did not internalize it. You had not uh, put uh, the, the, this law, this, this understanding, this love was not in your heart. You were trying to teach something you didn't do. You hadn't internalized. And we see it over and over and over. There are the rare cases where a child will follow after the Lord in spite of their parents. But that is sadly very, very rare. And that is the church working overtime, working hard, working every moment that they can in that child's life to overcome the parental influence. How much greater to have parents, to have families involved in the church, coming with their children, being here with their children on Wednesday nights and not just dropping them off, Co going to the ladies' Bible study or the men's Bible study or the prayer meeting Bible study. Opportunities abound for families to come together to church to grow in discipleship. But if we're not doing that, why are we surprised that we're losing our children after 6th grade, after 8th grade, after 12th grade. He goes on. So that's, that's the parents, that's, that's us, that's the leadership, the adults in the church, making sure that these uh, words are in our heart. And it, then verses 7 through 9, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and the city gates. We're going to stop with just repeat them to your children. This word here, repeat, means to etch. I immediately think of Fred Flintstone sending a letter to somebody. That's how they wrote, apparently, in the Stone Age, according to Hanna-Barbera. That's what comes to mind. That is the, the word here. It is to etch. It's referencing an engraver carving into a monument. Etch this into your children's hearts. Pound it into your children's hearts. Today, maybe we would say tattoo it to their hearts. 
Make sure that there is no room for misunderstanding. Make sure that there has been every possible opportunity taken to get this word into them. It begins with your practice, not just your preaching. But get this word into them. Some things we know about an engraver. I'm amazed. I'm just amazed people can do uh, headstones. And it's all even. And maybe they use machines now and I just don't realize it. But I know there are places where they are still teaching the craft of engraving. And, and they sit there with their little their tools. And they chip out. And they... Or take it to, to statues, people who actually carve things out of rock. Oh, one smart aleck, I don't remember if it was Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci, one of them was asked, how do you uh, create such beautiful things? And he said, well, it's already in there. I just knock away the pieces that aren't supposed to be there. Smart aleck. But, but that's the intensity, that's, that's the skill that we are supposed to approach teaching our children, teach them well. That skill, first of all, that we see from any master engraver, that skill is, a, uh, is, required from, is acquired from learning. Learning is required. Parents, if you want to engrave this word on their hearts, then you must learn this word. You must take every opportunity, e-groups, Bible study groups, small groups, worship services. When the Bible is taught, you should be there. But don't just wait on us. You should be learning the Bible and reading the Bible at home. This is your homework every day. Yes, parents, we have homework. It's a learning experience to understand the skill. An engraver doesn't just walk up. Nobody's going to ask me to do any sort of engraving with a hammer and chisel. I do not have the skill. I have never learned it. I'm no artist. Uh, I'm not good at those sorts of things anyway. But maybe if I practice long enough and hard enough, I could acquire the skill. That is part of this engraving, this etching on our hearts. Uh, practice then. Once we've learned the skill, we practice. Mindy with the piano playing. Joe with the guitar playing, Cindy with the drumming, Jamie with the drumming, the singers. Any of this is done, uh, is learned, but it is not kept without practice. Oh, you can, you can keep a lot of the skill, but the, the emotion, the, the, uh, the ability, the, the, some of it's muscle memory, but some of it's lost. Ask anybody who hasn't sung in a while that has to get up and sing uh, something that's a little out of their range or stretches their range. It's hard. Why? I'm out of practice. Oh, but you've sung for years. That doesn't matter. I have the skill, but I have not been practicing it. We must practice this at home. We repeat, going back to that phrase, repeat them to your children. Repetition is required over and over and over. That's why I'm not any good at the piano. That's why I've never been able to learn to read, to, to play music. I, I can fool y'all. I sit down at the piano and you think, oh, he's playing music. Well, not really. Not, not the way Mindy sits down and plays music. She reads all the notes, and as she reads them, she, her fingers do what the notes say. I don't play that way because I never practiced. I hated practicing. I don't know any kid that doesn't, but I just absolutely despised it because I got tired of the repetition. 
boring. I wanted to do other things. Well, you see the fruit of that. You know, I, I, at least I do. Repetition is required to be good at anything. To lead, to teach our children well, we must practice it. And then uh, thirdly, there's a commitment from an engraver. He's got to be determined, Michelangelo or Leonardo, whichever one it was, had to be determined to knock away all the pieces that didn't belong on that big rock. Have to be determined, we have to be committed to saying, I will get this engraved on my child's heart. It will take work, it will take time, it will be painful at times, it will be awkward at times, it will, it, it, my, my, if I'm engraving, my arms are going to get tired, my wrists are going to get tired, I'm going to hit my thumb a lot. I'm, it, it's going to be difficult, but I am committed that this will be etched on my child's heart by the time he leaves my home, or she leaves my home. You must be determined. You can't do it for a little while and say, well, that's just too hard, or they're not listening. And I'm, let, me, let me confess that we are not paragons of, of uh, 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 responsibility in this situation. We struggle to commit, to practice this at home ourselves to make it a constant thing it's a lot easier to say don't do that than it is to have a discussion about how we please God by our actions how we live a certain way because of our faith to etch these things on our hearts it's much easier just kind of dust that rock off occasionally and say oh you're fine rather than trying to engrave these words in but then, once we have the skill, the practice, and the commitment, then permanence is the result. The metaphorical actions here create concrete stability. The repeating, the talking about them when you sit down, when you walk, lie down, binding them as a sign on your hand. And, and there are devout Jews that still do that. They, they, have, they will put something on their wrist. They will wrap something around their head called a, a phylactery. Um, you see the mezuzah on the doorpost there in the picture. They, they will do all of these things and think, yay, I've learned to follow God. Well, these pretty clearly are not to be taken absolutely literal or as in, if you do these things, you're fine. These are metaphorical. This is do it all the time. This is practice. This is commitment. This is a learned skill. But these repetitious activities, talking about it all the time, teaching it to your children, having Ten Commandments on the wall and Bible verses around the house, those are all opportunities to teach, to lead, to grow, to etch this into our children's lives, and those metaphorical and sometimes literal actions create concrete stability. I love to go to cemeteries, and uh, especially ones that I know are old and, and just try to find the oldest headstone I can find. Um, different parts of the country, you can go, go further back than, than others. Um, most of the headstones I've found, the difficulty in reading them is not due to the engraver, it's due to the mold and the, the discoloration. 
But if you wash all that away, if you wipe all that down, you find the etching is still there. You clean the dirt. You clean away the filth. You remove the, the cares and the, the burdens. You remove the, 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 the struggles of the world, and you find that etching is still in that stone. We pray that our children who are prodigals will one day have that stone cleaned off. That the, the cares of the world, the, the sin, the filth, all of that will one day be power washed by the Holy Spirit and we will find that etching still there. But we've got to put it there in the first place. How sad to have a child who grew up in a Christian home to one day maybe power wash that block of granite and find that there was nothing written there ever to begin with. That cannot be in the church. If we will etch it on their hearts, it will stay there, and then we pray that God will use that someday. It's not too late, parents, church. We are to be discipling each other constantly. It is not too late, no matter their age. Pray for them, and I know you do. But if you have raised them and you have etched that into their hearts, it is still there. Pray for them that they will wipe away the filth of the world and see that etching. For all of you this morning, whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, whether uh, you're somewhere in between, uh, to love God with everything is to trust Jesus for salvation. You want to love God with all your heart, your mind and your soul, then you've got to get to him through Jesus Christ. You will not do it without his son. Parents, in order to etch the faith into the, your children's hearts, it has to be etched into yours. And it will never be etched into yours until you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You're, you're a blank piece of granite a piece of marble, whatever. There is no engraving without the first, without first having the faith in the Son of God who had the ultimate engraving, if I can continue the analogy, in his hands and in his feet when he took the nails that were your nails and permanently has those marks showing his salvation for you. So parents... You must come to Christ before you can etch this onto your children's lives. But young person, whatever your age, however, whatever you define as young, you're responsible for your own faith. I don't know what kind of parents you have. I don't know what they've taught you. I don't know how they've, uh, how they've led you in the faith. But you are responsible. When the day comes and you stand before the throne of judgment... God is not going to ask, well, did your parents teach you? No, God, they didn't. All right, come on in. They're going to ask you, did you hear the gospel and did you respond? And there will be no one standing with you to answer that question. There will be no excuse but my parents. No, because today, this morning, you are hearing and will hear the gospel. And it is your responsibility to respond regardless of how you were raised, regardless of what you do. So how do we respond? Well, first, we love the Lord. We understand uh, that God is holy and just and that he will judge sin. That's the Lord. That's Yahweh. That's here, Israel, the Lord. That's him. 
holy and just, and he will judge sin. We are willfully sinful and fall, uh, willfully sinful and fallen, and we are destined for everlasting torment and separation from God and judgment because of our sinfulness. That is who we are. That is who God is. Jesus, though, is the perfect Son of God. He took our place and our sin on the cross. He died for all people. He rose three days later so that we could experience salvation, so we could love the Lord with all of our, uh, Lord God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, so we could etch the faith on the hearts of our children, both our children at home, our children, our church children, because we are a church family. Our littles talk regularly about what are we doing tomorrow. That's their big thing on Sunday night, or any night, I, I rather. What are we doing tomorrow? Well, on Saturday night, it's we're going to worship with our church family. And then last week or sometime, one of them, they've already said, told this story, probably have, uh, said uh, we're getting together to do something. I don't even remember. Oh, the picnic. That's right. When we were planning for the picnic, we had told the, 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 the babies, we're having a picnic tonight. Going on a picnic at the church. With our church family? Yep, with our church family. We are a church family. So it doesn't take a village to raise a child. It does take a church. So we are responsible for, for our children and telling them about Jesus, the perfect Son of God, who died on the cross three days later, rose from the grave, to prove his salvation. And then we repent of our sins. So that's who God is. That's who we are. Here we have who Jesus is. What are we going to do? Respond. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him and live for him. And you will then know how to love the Lord your God. And you will be equipped to etch that onto the hearts of your children. Whether they're your biological children or just the children of your church family. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have called us to be a family, that you have called us to uh, worship together, that you have called us to minister to our children. God, as parents and as spiritual parents, may we etch on our children's hearts your word. And may we respond in faith to Jesus Christ so that we can show them the example of responding in faith to Jesus Christ. And God, may every child, every student, every adult who says, but my parents didn't, let them know, but Jesus did. And it is their responsibility to respond to him and what he did. And maybe just in spite of what their parents did. God, move in this place today. Give us the strength to lead well, to teach our children well. God, may we etch on their hearts your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is your decision this morning? Do you need to trust Christ? Follow him as your savior so you can etch this into your child's heart. Do you need to do it just because you've never done it? Well, what is your decision this morning? Maybe you need to join our church. You need to recommit. You need to do any number of things here at the altar with the Lord. Maybe you'd like me to pray with you. Maybe you'd like Tom to pray with you. He'll be over there on my right in that corner. I'll be here in the left-hand corner. But whatever your decision is today, whatever your need is today, take care of it as we stand and as we do business with God.